arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Harcourt? Harcourt, Fenton, Mud, what have you been up to? Nothing good, I'm sure. Well, let me tell you, you lazy good-for-nothing... Stella? Dear? Harcourt, Fenton, Mud, where have you been? What have you been up to? Have you been drinking again, you miserable sot? You good-for-nothing, Harcourt! I've talked about Star Trek, the original series, during these podcasts. Roger C. Carmel is remembered for his characterization of the rogue space pirate, Harry Mudd. Mudd has fled his abusive wife, Stella, for a wild life about the galaxy. I only bring forth Stella to compare what has happened to Connie. With Walter Thornton's death, Connie immediately changes. She unveils plans for expansion, and she begins ordering Butts around. And she knows Butts so well, and how he will react. To her abuse. As mentioned before, Butts will slowly self-destruct. Episode 4 now commences here on Fitton on the Air. Framed by R.P. Fitton. Chapter 17. I had to work Saturday, something I vowed I would never do once I was successful. It was a cold day, no snow but frigid. The kind of day where you didn't want to take the initiative to do anything except wait for the snow. The sun just hung there, silver behind the wispy clouds. I was so wrapped up in Connie's expansion instructions that I forgot where I was and what I was doing. Her voice was trapped in my aching skull, and the continual drone of her words worked on me like a piece of sandpaper over my nerve endings. For a moment, I also forgot about my plans for Shannon McCurry that evening, but smiled when I pictured her flashing green eyes and quick smile. My cell phone rang. I scooped it off the seat and pushed the send button. Connie's voice opened up like a machine gunner hidden in the bushes, but I had nowhere to run for cover. She was on her own cell phone from an unknown location. It was not a loud berating Garrity, but a slow wearing down, a constant battering like some drawn-out geological process eventually altering the landscape. Yeah, it's the only way to be. Glad you appreciate that because I need inventories. I want you to supervise all the warehouses during those inventories. Get me the numbers and the breakdown. By when? I asked, dreading it. The annoyance now vibrated in my voice. El Pronto. And email me your projection of the Northern New Jersey warehouse sales. I may have teams of auditors looking into things. I don't know. That'll give that friend of yours, Tom Cowles, a chance to earn some extra money. Yeah, true. Make sure everything is in line, Gordon. You're the guy. I'm not going to tolerate any screw-ups. I've always done exactly what you wanted me to do. Good. The line went dead. 
but I found I was gripping the phone so tight it seemed glued to my palm. Her call hadn't been enough to push me into blowing up at her like I did last Thursday night, but I figured she had two purposes, one of which was easing me out. She had been trying to boot me out, Garrity. No one would keep up the pressure unless they were putting on the squeeze. I was used to the squeeze, intense manifestations of humiliating pressure, where the boss would start a campaign to push you out. None of my former bosses were as clever as Connie. Connie also seemed obsessed with the expansion. I reasoned she wanted to build sales and assets to the max so she could sell. She had a cocky grin like a cat eyeing its prey, but not yet ready to strike. She scrutinized every aspect of the warehouse operations. It was all in her head, Garrity. Every number, every percentage, every piece of stock. Possessing such an array of facts buttressed her self-assured nature. I respected but feared her abilities. She had barked out orders and now I had to jump. Another man might have walked, but I knew she respected what I could do. And I didn't want to relinquish any power within my grasp. Shedding the responsibility and the building pressure would be like stepping out of a hurricane's fury. One thing about me, Garrity, and it was my downfall. I loved the threat of destruction, the killer winds, the battering rain. I thrived on being in the storm because I could always beat the onslaught in a perverted and unproductive way. My heart thumped again when my cell phone vibrated inside my suit coat. I had driven to northern New Jersey selling our services and products to a seasoned contractor who had just landed a job in the city. I excused myself to Ron Tobin, a little man in a green work suit who demanded full attention. I dredged the cell phone from my silk-lined pocket. Connie's voice was cranked up and a scratchy fierceness shot through the earpiece. You told me you would email me a statement concerning the northern New Jersey warehouse projections, Gordon. You can't do what you say you're going to do. I wanted to hang up, but I didn't. I walked away from Tobin, who folded his stubby arms across his uniform. I turned and stood next to a dirty, wide window overlooking the clogged state highway. I was busy. She produced a condescending chuckle. Oh, oh, really? I think it's time you set your priorities, Gordon. My priorities are set, Connie. She didn't say anything for a few seconds. The transmission wavered, and she was well aware of how devastating silence was in both business and in personal transactions. I'll see you when I get back. The transmission snapped off. I gawked at the cell phone and thought about calling her back. She had questioned my activities, and where was she off to, and who was she with? She had somebody else. Maybe I felt it for a long time. I wasn't just using that as a rationalization for the Shannon McCurry thing. I jammed the phone back in my coat pocket and turned back to Tobin, now tapping his foot on the shop floorboards. I finished up the sales call and landed the job. Late in the afternoon, the air still icy and the sun hiding, I headed for the Turnpike Motor Lodge, a small U-shaped place with red aluminum siding and an awkward white metal overhang near the office. You only saw cars 5, 10, or 20 years old with pitted, faded paint and curved vinyl tops. The manager always wore a tight t-shirt, even in winter, and his face looked like it had been slapped around. I used this motel in the old days when I didn't want to go back to my apartment or I didn't want the woman I was with to know where I lived. 
Now, I could have stayed anywhere in any high-class hotel within a 50-mile radius. Instead, I walked out of the office's closed door. The little brass bell up top clapped, and I stepped into the half-filled parking lot. In my hand, the silver key was attached to a worn wood block with the number 16 scrawled in permanent marker. I always stayed in 16 in the old days. The room was stuffy, dark, and had a loud fan on the window heater. I pulled back the flowery green drapes across the aluminum frame window. I turned toward a large single bed and grinned. They had installed new loop gray rugs and painted over the wallpaper. The 18 by 20 gold frame reproduction of Remington's cowboy under the western stars still hung over the white dresser. I fell back on the bed and I stared at the cowboy's cigarette butt glowing in the blue night. I clamped my eyes and my burgeoning problem swelled like heating air filling a hot air balloon. I wanted a drink and a cigarette. I wanted Shannon in bed with me right now. But consumed by the pressure, I went out. The flashing intersection light on the state highway brightened the motel room yellow and then faded to the dim outside parking lot lamps. I popped my eyes. A couple of cars swung their headlights around the lot and swept my walls. I checked my watch pushing the luminous setting. I was out for three hours, just as well. Now I could stay out later with Shannon McCurry. I rolled out of bed toward the shower. I understood how much Connie's unrelenting pressure blocked my thoughts and taxed my endurance. I saw Shannon McCurry dart between the tables, her smile wide and her personality bursting through quips and animated conversations she shared with her customers. It was 10.30 when I stepped through the heavy wooden door at Guido's. Just seeing her was effective medicine against Connie's invective demands. I nodded to the bartender and watched myself in the mirror behind the liquor bottles. My hair was trimmed close, my face was smooth, and my dark eyes potent. I left my silk shirt open at the collar and straightened my blue sport coat. I wasn't the bum who used to stagger in here a few nights a week. I took a seat at the long urethane bar. I could hear her around me mixed in with the speaker's bass in the fast-paced NBA game on the monitor. I had already started in on a microbrew beer and was pondering how to flag her down when I felt her little hand on my shoulder. I turned and looked up at her smiling freckled face and sparkling green eyes. Hey, I haven't seen you in here in a while. I pretended to half-recognize her. Shannon, right? Hey, good memory. She knew I was faking it. Where's your buddy Tom? Oh, he's probably home. I'm just passing through on the way back to Long Island. It took a room near the highway. So, uh, how's the plumbing business? You mean the world of wall flanges, slip nuts, and tail pieces? I asked, my ego more impressed than anything else. She sat on the stool next to me and held a metal tray. Her face was always in motion, and she flipped her hands around when she spoke. Your friend comes in here quite a bit. He's always talking about you, how you have expanded the business. She didn't know about Connie, about Walter Thornton, or the old days when I crawled out of here with bimbos on both arms. All she saw was Gordon Butts, the president of Thornton Plumbing and Supply, a slightly older guy, wiser and richer, sitting at the bar alone on a Saturday night. My scenario was hidden, but the possibilities were evident. Well, business has been good. I've been traveling extensively around the Northeast this winter. I know nothing about plumbing supplies. 
That was the lead-in, Garrity. The long, slow fastball, and I was ready to belt it out of the park. When do you get a break? I'm due, she said, turning her white wristwatch. Things were moving forward now. Maybe 15 minutes, I hope. Why don't you get a booth down the end? Sure, that would be great. You still owe me a hockey game. I was dubious about her ability to remember my promise as she pointed at me with a wide smile. This woman liked me. She had liked me months ago, and her conversations with Tom must have kept me alive in her mind. Thank you, Tommy. I watched her beige slacks tight at the buttocks with the greatest scrutiny now as she headed down to wait on customers across the bar. I wasn't sure I could drag her out of here tonight, but I was convinced I could date her. I viewed her as a young kid who fantasized a better life when she didn't have to be waiting on tables on a Saturday night. I took a quiet booth in the corner under the TV monitor. I ordered appetizers from another waitress and started munching. Shannon was busy, but I watched the game and cleaned out the appetizer dish. Half an hour later, she appeared around the corner near the restrooms and payphones and shot out quickly like a chrome pinball spinning under the glass. With a large smile, she closed in. Sorry I'm late, Gordon. She slid into the booth and folded both hands. Gordon, where's your wife? I didn't expect that question for days or weeks. Long Island. She grinned. She knows you uh, ask waitresses into booths on a Saturday night? It was as if she were getting all this marriage nonsense out of the way up front. I knew I should have had a better answer. Well, my wife and I are uh, business partners. Oh. She bought the line and ordered a Diet Coke from the other waitress who looked me over. Tom tells me you live on Long Island. Yeah, I have a place on the Sound. You get out in the ocean much? We have a boat. Yeah, once in a while. I don't like rocky weather. Me either. She took out one of the white paper napkins, dipped it in the water glass, and chilled her face and shoulders, moving it quickly near her open collar. Wow, I didn't realize how hot you could get here on such a cold night. Sometimes I get so tired. While I found her physically attractive, Garrity, I liked her more than anything else. It didn't matter whether I got her back to the motel that night. We started talking about hockey and then about all sports. She was as knowledgeable as some of my male friends. I liked her style, her enthusiasm, and her positive outlook. A couple of times during her break, she reached out and squeezed my wrist. Nothing sensual, just her enthusiasm spilling over. I wasn't sure whether she'd go out with me. You busy later? You want to go out? I asked, my voice spreading charm out like warm peanut butter over a fresh piece of bread. Sure, she answered as if it was no big deal. She was cool and confident. She liked sitting in the leather seat. In her purple blazer, hair down in the subtle light, she looked older. I pulled away from Guido's. I could smell a freshness, not perfume, maybe a scented pine bath soap or body lotion. She intrigued me on a number of levels. I was buzzing inside, and I hoped for a protracted time away from Connie. Were you uh, brought up around here? I asked, wanting to know more about her. No, I'm from Ohio. I went to uh, school at the State College. Major? Colonel? I smiled. Well, wise guy, what was your major? History. Two years out, and I still can't find a job. And I always liked history. Never really had a plan. Suppose I could go to graduate school. I hoped she wouldn't ask about my education or lack thereof. She didn't. 
She went into a long talk about college and her friends and how she missed the area. Her boyfriend from school came down to Crane's Beach, became a beach bum last summer, and she tagged along. I got the impression that he dragged Shannon down. She seemed smarter than her record indicated. I drove her downtown and hit some of the clubs. She said she liked to dance, and so did I, when I was dancing with the right person. Garrity, I clicked with this woman right away. We danced the fast stuff, we danced the long, slow numbers, and we giggled without getting drunk. This woman seemed to make me laugh, and she enjoyed the role. She never asked about my position, but she was not unaware that I had both money and power. She probably wanted to see my house, my boat, or go out to some of the warehouses. Her hands massaged my shoulders as she danced with me. A few times her slender body brushed against mine as the night turned into morning. She snuggled closer. When I kissed her, her lips moved slowly, different from Connie's intensity, yet I felt a tingling sensation when we broke. Her cherry lipstick was sealed on my lips. We were out all night, Garrity. I didn't bring her back to the motel, and I didn't make love to her. With the first hint of daylight, we were bundled up on a freezing cold beach south of town. I kissed her again and could have carried it further, but I figured fooling around could only mess things up. We ran hand in hand along the soft sands beyond the parking lot. As I lifted her into the air, I worried about the jag, parked a few hundred yards back. She held me tight as if she had known me for years. Keeping each other warm, we sat down again. The sun burst orange through a bunch of steely clouds, highlighted the freckles on her face, and painted her green eyes iridescent. I wanted to be with this woman because I enjoyed her. I had nothing to gain like I did when I went after Connie. Every time she nuzzled her bunched-up little body next to mine, I knew the physical relationship would be good. I told her I wanted to see her again. The cold brought us back to the parking lot. She nodded with the recognition of something developing between us. I told her I could make my own schedule, and she said she always had Thursdays off. Right there, Garrity. I was stepping into the last part of my life, and I didn't know it. But what looked so good would bring me spiraling downward. Framed by R.P. Fitton, Chapter 18 Here's how it happened. In my travels to the old warehouses, and even when I did some of my preliminary scouting to establish new warehouses, I began to suspect Connie had juggled the financial aspects of the business. Teams of auditors, men with pencils, transcribed every asset down to the last elbow joint and piece of solder into their tablet ledger sheets and laptops. She was going to sell. At first, I maintained a carefree attitude about it, but soon the ramifications swept over me like an advancing storm surge. Converting the company assets to cash, or depending on what a potential buyer might offer, could put Gordon Butts into the trash compactor. I should have left it alone, Garrity. So what if I was booted out? Things were starting to develop with Shannon McCurry. I had nothing to prove. I had gone from road salesman to company president. But a part of me, that same component keeping an alcoholic from drinking or the druggie slipping a needle into his skin, did not want to shed the accumulated power. Maybe there's something narcotic inside our brains, secreted whenever we control other human beings. It has its roots in the drive to possess things. Having that wad in your wallet or a piece of plastic allows you to have anything your heart desires. And the more power and money you get, the more you can't stomach losing it. 
I pulled into our warehouses outside of Philadelphia with an odd feeling I was being tailed, or maybe somebody watched from the warehouse windows. I got out of the jag and peered past the concrete docks to the glass entrance door. I took out my briefcase and my laptop. My cell phone rang and I retrieved it from my suit coat. But... Gordon, this is Shannon. Shannon, are you all right? Oh, yeah. I'm here in my apartment and I was just thinking about last weekend. I hadn't even made love to this woman, Garrity. I had gone out with her for three weeks. I had wanted to make love to her, but I was too busy having fun. I set down my briefcase and my throat tightened. I was really starting to fall in love, Garrity. In my life, I had been with and spent time with a lot of women, but this was different. It was simple for both of us, and we just enjoyed each other's company. I suggested a few days ago that we get away and travel up the Hudson. Well, I miss you too. I wished I was back in Crane's Beach, holding her in her apartment and looking across her freckled face into her green eyes. I smiled, but it wasn't a smile of prowess or a winning smile. I knew what she was saying, and I knew we both would have a great time. I would enjoy that, Shannon. I'm looking over those pamphlets you left me about upstate. Yeah, well, there's more stuff online, and I can download it. Great. I'm excited. When do you want to go? I shrugged my shoulders, again thinking somebody watched me from the warehouse door. Whenever you say, Shannon. She giggled like a kid. I knew I was going to make love to her now, and making love to her was a wild thought. Maybe this weekend. You're back on Wednesday night? I am. We'll get together then. I worried about the guy I saw looking out the warehouse window. He was holding something in his hand. and disappeared every time I looked at the door. I love you, Gordon. She said that with a subtlety and a gracious sincerity. But I kept looking toward the auditors in the warehouse. Well, I love you, too. I'm really looking forward to going upstate. I'll talk to you. Bye. I stuffed the phone in my coat pocket. The guy at the window was gone. I picked up my briefcase and rushed across the parking lot. I didn't need anybody putting me under surveillance, and I immediately suspected Connie. She was posing, Garrity, posing to gather all the assets. As I climbed the steps to the glass door, I was livid. She maneuvered me into killing Walter Thornton and into working my ass off expanding her business. And Garrity, by now, you and your team have looked into all of that. She covered herself. Connie had the unique ability to shield and insulate herself from any responsibility or liability. On that level, I respected that. I went right up to the front counter and set down my briefcase. The guy behind the counter was waiting on customers and smiled. Afternoon, Mr. Butts. I was in no mood for social amenities. Who was that at the window? Window? Somebody was watching or listening to my phone conversation from that window. I don't know. I've been here writing up the orders. I walked across the showroom to the side office. Peter Walsh, the manager whom I had known for years, looked up from his computer screen. Afternoon there, Gordon. Peter, I just took a personal call in the parking lot. Somebody was watching me from that window over there. Really? Jazz the boys at the counter? I looked back at the counter. Another man, a kid in his 20s, appeared from the stockroom. Who's the kid? Came on board last week. You want me to keep an eye on him? Yeah, I want you to keep an eye on him. Hey, your buddy Tom Cowles was in this morning. He's a part of the auditing team. What? Yep. 
He said he tried to call you uh, this weekend, but you weren't home. Is he coming here? No, he went to Pittsburgh. Apparently, he needs the work. Yeah, Tom works when he feels like it. He's good, but I stared at the kid, unsure whether he was passing the window or if he listened to my conversation with Shannon. I started to get scared. Maybe it was the guilt of cheating on Connie. Or maybe Connie had some idea of what I was up to. Oh, and uh, Connie called, too. My head snapped to the left. Oh? She wants you to call her tonight. By the way, Shirley and I are free to join you two for dinner at Tanglewood. I think Connie said the 23rd. Why didn't you just call me on my cell? I, I don't know. Of course he didn't know. This was the opening shot, Garrity, and the push to get me out. She could have used the cell phone, but decided to stay a little ahead of me. It was the beginning of a slow, psychological harassment to push me, to make me feel the heat. I knew her game, and I wanted to talk with Tom Cowles. I went in the side office, and I dialed Pittsburgh. When the manager in Pittsburgh knew nothing about Tom flying out there, I panicked. I checked back with Peter, and he insisted Tom had flown out of Philly that afternoon. One by one, I checked the other warehouses. Tom might have inadvertently had information that would highlight Connie's plot against me. I found him at home. Well, they canceled my trip. Who canceled your trip? I asked. The auditors. Hey, Tom. Tom, why did Connie hire you? Well, indirectly, the head auditor signed me up on Connie's recommendation. She knows I need the work. The hell are the auditors doing? I asked loudly. I didn't address my present psychological condition. What are the auditors doing? What do auditors usually do? What's the problem? I paused. What was the problem? Maybe I was rationalizing my new relationship with Shannon by placing the blame on Connie. Tom, between you and me, I think Connie is preparing to sell the business. Do you see that? You're right. I'm the guy who originally told you that, but I'm not so sure now, Gordon. I know you. You're afraid everything's going to fall apart and you'll be back at Guido's with your Torino. Am I right? Maybe. Well, if she were going to sell, the word would be out. I've been checking on the profits of everyday items behind the counter, and they look good, I might add. What do you say we get together at Guido's soon and have a beer? No. I was fearful my relationship with Shannon would be known. I had to get her out of Guido's. If she ever talked to Tom, word might get back to Connie. I trusted Tom, but you never know who talks and what slips out. Not not now. I, uh, my schedule. Hey, you and your schedule. Where the hell were you this weekend? I called you three times. You never bothered to give me the other cell number. Oh, I was having an affair. Tom paused. You're not really... Do you think I'd jeopardize my position with Connie? You did. You're a bigger jackass than I suspected. I smiled. Listen, Tommy, we'll go to Guido's. Give me some time to free up my schedule. I smiled. There was a time I told Tom about every woman I was with, every soured relationship and one-night stand. But this was different, and I didn't want to taint what I had with Shannon. Okay, sir. Wise guy. Goodbye. I hung up the phone and stared at the buttons. I was unnerved that Tom would now make contact with Shannon McCurry. I punched out her number quickly. The line rang, but kept ringing. I knew the answering machine would kick in, and I hung up. Gordon, I'd uh, like your opinion on this job I'm bidding, a heating job, said Peter from the doorway. I looked up, still holding the receiver. It took a few seconds for his request to register. Sure. 
I lifted my briefcase. I liked bidding jobs. I liked people coming to me and asking for my advice. But as I sat down at Peter's organized desk, I kept looking back toward the other phone in the other office, and I was convinced that Tom would be heading to Guido soon, maybe even tonight. I wasn't sure when Shannon was working. Maybe I should have just told him about her. The phone rang and Peter picked up. The guys at the counter were busy. It's for you. He handed the receiver to me. Hello. Gordon, this is Connie. I just talked to Tom Cowles. Why had he called Connie so soon? You talked to Tom? Yes. I canceled his trip to Pittsburgh and wanted to send him to southern New Jersey tomorrow. He's good and he doesn't make mistakes. Nice of you to tell me that you hired him. Is that something I need to clear with you? I didn't like her tone. I remember how once she had such a soft voice, and now she seemed upset every time I talked with her. Well? Yeah, well, he is my friend. Well, I'm giving your friend some work. She was up to something else. Maybe she was going to use Tom to spy on me. But Tom wasn't a money man. He was actually motivated by doing a good job. I didn't fear Tom contacting Connie in the course of his work but his proximity to Shannon at Guido sent cold shivers down my back. I had to get Shannon away from that restaurant, but if I hired her, Connie would find out. Are you listening to me, Gordon? hated the way she kept repeating my name as if I were some little kid. She never used to do that. It was an intimidating tactic. If she were a man, I would have spoke to her differently. I might even have popped her one. But you can't do that with women, can you, Garrity? You women hide behind the shield of being female and then say outrageous things that no self-respecting male would ever say. I wanted her dead. Not the way I wanted Walter Thornton dead. Walter Thornton was an obstacle in the road. Connie was an irritant, spreading over my skin and threatening to eat out my innards. Her purposes were overt and geared only toward her own self-serving needs. Ah, oh, what an idiot said Garrity, staring at the screen. Butts began again. I'm listening to you, Connie. How could I not listen to you? What's that supposed to mean? It means, I don't know what the hell you're doing. Oh, and I know what you're doing? You're gone half the time you're supposed to be home. I said nothing. She was right. In my rush to be with Shannon, I had stayed away. But so had Connie. Well, you haven't been around either. I hung up the phone. Peter must have seen the anger flushed across my face and the sweat streaks forming on my forehead. He pretended to look at the bid. Peter, I, uh, I think we can make some money on this one, Gordon. A lot of ancillary items after the initial bid. My gut feeling is to bid it low and make it up later. Yeah, I know the routine. For a moment, I forgot my anger at Connie. That's the formula. Just document everything if you have a low bid. There's auditors crawling all over this place. You know that. Oh, I'll take care of them. We have to do business. That's the ticket, Peter. I stood and left my briefcase on the floor. I walked into the showroom and made direct eye contact with the stubby bearded kid. A silver cross earring dangled from his left ear. He could have outdistanced me in a protracted staring contest. Maybe I should have confronted him directly and just see if Connie had hired him to watch me. Her dirtbag comments snapped into my head again. I turned and left for the stockroom, took deep breaths, and I knew I had to watch myself now. 
I pushed the swinging doors and stepped under the high fluorescent lights near the support girders. For a second, I wondered what it would be like if Connie were gone, out of my life, thinking such thoughts would get me into trouble. I needed to talk about it, but I didn't trust Tom anymore. Not that he and Connie were working together. I was just afraid I might blurt something out. Something that might cause her to jettison me and sell the business, leave me in the lurch. I needed a way to combat what she was doing, to neutralize anyone who might be watching me and trying to separate me from my power and position. Framed by R.P. Fitton, Chapter 19 Someone was following me. It wasn't my imagination, Garrity, because I had no guilt now about the pending weekend upstate with Shannon McCurry. All week, even before I got back to Long Island on Wednesday, I caught sight of a little beige Toyota, dented on the passenger side just below the window. The bottom showed signs of rust, and the blue Connecticut tag was covered with a thin layer of gray dust. The antenna was snapped. I knew I was being followed after I had lunch with a few guys from southern New Jersey. We left a respectable upscale bar with brass railings and lots of oak. Back inside the car, some of the guys were telling off-color jokes and referring to some of the local clientele in their skimpy pink waitress uniforms. I smiled and shook my head, added a comment about the curly blonde's cleavage, but something caught my eye in the rearview mirror. I didn't think much of it until the little bastard kept matching my every move. I checked the side mirror and saw smoke spewing from the Toyota as he tried to keep pace with me. When I stopped the car near the police station, about a mile from the warehouse, he turned down a side street and disappeared. She was playing a high-stakes game, Garrity, cat and mouse, trying to catch me. But more than that, trying to get me to start thinking, get me to crack under pressure. The smart move would not to have been heading north with Shannon that weekend. I knew it then and I know it now. But I wasn't going to be intimidated by Connie's bullying tactics. She wasn't going to direct my life anymore. Maybe she knew that, too. I dropped off the guys at the warehouse, shot the breeze for another 15 minutes, and then used the men's room. After a quick call to a local contractor, I walked out of the building and got in my Jag. I popped in a country CD and backed around the parking lot. I wondered if the Toyota thing was all inside my head, and I might be conveying unrealistic schemes upon Connie. I slowly moved back to the turnpike. I cruised at high speed, heat blasting against my face, and stared out the tinted windows as the music twanged in my ears. In northern New Jersey, Garrity, I thought about you. I thought about Walter Thornton when I saw the Crane's Beach exit, and I thought I had been pretty damn clever. By late afternoon, I had passed onto the Tobul's shadows next to the city. I watched the speedometer race upward and looked into the mirror, back to the green and blue booths. As the Toyota chugged up to the end booth, I pretended he wasn't there, moved casually across the lanes and accelerated at a normal pace. He threw some extra change in the bin and then veered to the right. He was so obvious, not a professional, probably some flunky that she hired. I chuckled and was not even mad at the stooge. But Connie was no dummy, and I underestimated nothing she might try to pull. She wanted me out, I know she did, but I wasn't budging, and again, I wish she were out of my life. I blew the Toyota away without being conspicuous, and I really didn't care if he knew that I had ditched him. I got on the cell phone to Shannon once I was over the next hill. She picked up right away. It's me. Gordon, I knew it was you. I knew it. I've made arrangements up north. We're going to be on Lake Champlain, but close enough to take in some cross-country skiing in the Adirondacks. Just a matter of driving a 
So was I, but I wasn't going to have snapshots taken of me and Shannon as we stepped into some hotel. Connie could bug her apartment or even her phone. Now I know how my crazy mind was working, yet I could be 100% right. Great. I like cross-country. Guess we don't have to worry about anything. When do we have to be at the hotel? I asked, checking the side mirror again. The Toyota was out of sight. Anytime Friday, after two. If we need any money, I can kick in. No, you don't worry about the money, sweetheart. I'll take care of it. And think about what I said. I can get you a position outside of Guido's. But I love the people at Guido's. There are plenty of positions with plenty of firms when you deal with people all day long. It's not what you know, but who you know and how you handle yourself. We'll talk this weekend. In the side mirror, I saw the Toyota, a hundred yards away and racing up the passing lane. I took my foot off the gas. Damn. What's the matter? Nothing. He kept at me, and the Toyota's rusty metal frame shook. I could see his face. An older guy with matted gray hair and glasses. He passed me, looking ahead. I took down the license plate. I'll talk to you soon, Shan. I love you, too. I pushed the off button and jammed the accelerator. He moved down the ramp and ran the red light. A rush-hour line of cars bunched up at the underpass. I saw him move by some fast-food restaurants and back toward the city. I'll fix your ass. I got on the phone to the state police. I was calm, knowing the call would be recorded. You probably heard the recording by now, Garrity. My name is Gordon Butts. I'm the president of Thornton Plumbing and Supply and I would like to report a car tailing me. I don't need to be harassed in this manner. I gave him the plate number, raced up the underpass, and shot back up the other ramp to Long Island. They, of course, told me they'd look into it, which was great, but even after seven calls over the next two days, I got nowhere and I gave up. I never saw the car or the guy again. But it wasn't over, Garrity. I took charge before I even went through the front gate at Tanglewood. With Connie not home, I could have placed calls from my home office, but my mind clicked like a high-speed computer. On my cell phone, I called another hotel, this one in Sarasota Springs, and then I called Amtrak. We'd take the train north and be at another location. I wasn't going to tell Shannon any of this till we reached the station in New York. It was a strategic move, designed to thwart Connie's plans to catch me with another woman. I was out to prove, as I had been all along, that Gordon Butts wasn't the half-brain that she thought. More like a pea-brain, said Garrett. Garrity nodded her head slowly. I can't believe how full of himself Butts is, said Danny. Well, you got that right, added Joy. Connie was still at the marina, checking the repair of our yacht, so it would be ready for Memorial Day. Walter Thornton had purchased the yacht years ago. Connie, just as with everything else her late husband possessed, had the boat revamped and upgraded. Now she used it to cruise around the Sound and up to Cape Cod. One summer we even made it up to Booth Bay Harbor in Maine. I went up to the hot tub, grabbed two chilled beers from the refrigerator, and soaked my body in the bubbling steam while I looked out over the Sound. I could see the marina lights some distance down the road. I dreaded her coming back, Garrity, because I knew she'd be all over me again about the business, what I had done and what I hadn't done. In those precious few minutes while Connie was gone, I let the heated water massage me and formed an image of Shannon's soft, slim little body nuzzled beside me. I closed my eyes and let the cold beer trickle down my throat and spread out my arms on the smooth tile. 
This weekend up north, I would find another hot tub and have what I wanted. I heard the downstairs foyer door slam and echo up the winding staircase to the hot tub. I popped open my eyes and sat up quickly. She must have closed it vigorously to let me know she was there, and knowing I'd be dreading her return, she'd want to shake me. I stepped from the tub and quickly dried off, stormed into the bedroom and started to dress. She opened the bedroom door as I buttoned my sports shirt. Her eyes had that same condensed anger and she looked like a prosecutor ready to tear apart the defense witness. Soak in the tub, did you? Like I hadn't been busting my ass for 72 hours, Garrity. I didn't hear from you, Gordon, so I went down to the marina. It's important somebody check the progress on the boat. I said nothing, not wanting to take the bait, but I knew she'd be coming back with another round. Tom Cowles said you were bothering him. Finished buttoning my shirt and tucked it into my slacks. Well, I wouldn't say that. Then what would you say, Gordon? I hire your best friend, a guy you tell me who can't find work, and then you harass him about it. I just looked at her, knowing full well she was trying to provoke me. Tom's a good worker. We should have hired him a long time ago. She was disarmed, but only momentarily. While well, you've had your vacation on the road, I've been meeting with the auditors. Your management leaves much to be desired, Gordon. Do you really think I'm not aware of how your lack of college is influencing the profits on my company? Walter Thornton's company. It's mine now. I slipped into a pair of white leather casual shoes and tied the laces. So, you're selling it off. You know, I'm really starting to resent all your talk about selling off my company. And I don't like it when you spread that rumor all over New Jersey and Pennsylvania. All my employees think it's true because of your mouth. I walked up to her and looked into her cold blue eyes, constricted into two angry slits. Truth hurts, doesn't it, Connie? She raised her hand to slap my face, but I caught it midway. I gripped her arm tightly, pushing the tan skin inward, but she said nothing. Then I threw my arm back toward her. She looked at her reddened wrist and nodded. <laughs> I knew you'd get violent. You haven't seen violent, baby. It's only a matter of time, and I should report this, you know. Maybe I will. You swung at me, remember? And I have the marks on my arm. You know what you are? I wanted to smack her. My face was hot, and she had the glimmer of satisfaction in her eyes, knowing that she had broken me. What am I, Gordon? You're a contriving, highly intelligent bitch who weaves in other people to do her bidding and then takes in the spoils. She turned, smiling with her lips, and said nothing as she meandered across the carpet and out of the room. I had given her no new revelation. She knew exactly what she was, and she knew I had dubbed it perfectly. The sad part, Garrity, and we both knew it, is that I couldn't extricate myself from her ubiquitous vice grip. She held the money, and legally everything was in her name. I needed her for my own wealth and power. I lusted after whatever she could still offer, knowing her destructive power was lurking. Connie had smiled because with each passing minute on the hallway's grandfather clock, in business and personally, I was increasingly unimportant. Framed by R.P. Fitton Chapter 20 Shannon was unfazed about the change in plans. We drove to a renovated bus station outside the city. For 25 minutes, I had checked the rearview mirror, taking the side streets and excursion in circles to avoid anyone tailing me. It had become a race against Connie Garrity, generating a power struggle, 
reaching its fruition at an indeterminate battle I was not going to lose. We had our overnight bags loaded and boarded a streamlined bus with air conditioning. The bus left at the precise moment, backing out of the terminal, and was soon on the highway and traveled quickly into the city. You all right, Shannon? You look tired. Gee, I don't know, Gordon. Uh, off and on over the past few days, I've had these bouts. Uh, I'm really run down, and, and then I'm all right. Maybe you should see a doctor, I said as we rolled into the fast lane. She nodded. I thought of that. I'll see my doctor at the clinic, Valdez. Not a quack, is he? I mean, is he a regular doctor? Oh, yeah. She pulled out a white card with maroon letters. Dr. Valdez's name and number in the lower right-hand corner. The name of the clinic was the walk-in clinic at Cranes Beach. I'm usually as healthy as a horse. Stephen and I used to both go there. Peered out the window, not like it when she talked about Stephen. The guy sounded like a lowlife. And who was I to talk about past loves and lowlifes, Garrity? Shannon put her head back on the pillow and was soon asleep. She woke again with a new enthusiasm, entertaining and regaling me with stories as animated and perky as if she were performing her waitress duties back at Guido's. Confused at her newfound energy level, I stared at her as we neared the city. Then I laughed, because she had an ability to tap something inside me and make me lose sight of my troubles. We made the connection safely at Grand Central, but not trusting Connie and respectful of her abilities, I opted to get on the silver passenger train right away. I looked back to the station, wondering if someone were watching me now or snapping pictures. Connie could use those for blackmail. Once we were actually inside the self-contained car, I eased back. My goodness, Gordon, you're a bundle of nerves. I smiled and went to light a cigarette, but was told by the attendant I would only be allowed to smoke in a special car behind the dining area. Is it her? I looked back at Shannon. What? Is she making you upset? Yeah, you could say that. Oh, Gordon, she said and cuddled up against me. I felt her fluffy black hair and I half smiled. We hadn't even left the station and the darkness of the city seemed to harbor all the hidden agendas. The Amtrak raced north, swaying on the tracks along the blue Hudson. No one trailed us, Garrity. I had beaten Connie. She probably had people trying to catch me and remove me from her life professionally and privately. I walked hand in hand with Shannon, steadying myself to the restaurant car. We were seated and I quickly ordered steak and potatoes. Shannon had an interesting fish combination. I felt myself relaxing for the first time in weeks or maybe years since I killed Walter Thornton. The Hudson widened like a lake, surrounded by long stretches of hills. I couldn't believe all this existed not too far from the city. Shannon told me as we ate how she wished she had continued her studies. Going back to college one year from now or five years from now was okay. Well, I miss school. I looked out at a long barge stacked with red and white freight containers moving along the expanse, and I smiled, knowing I had outwitted Connie. You miss Stephen? She pierced a piece of cake on her fork. Oh, I don't worry, Gordon. Stephen's long gone. He disappeared six months ago. I'm sorry. Don't be. He was no good. He drank too much, and, well, he was involved with drugs, always shooting up. The train skirted a narrow rock-lined cliff. Everyone gasped as we passed through a short tunnel. I wondered about this guy, Stephen, and why she had been attracted to such a creep. Then I looked at my image in the dark window. It was different falling in love with a man in his thirties with power and money who enjoyed wielding what he had. I didn't want to lose that power or her. 
When we emerged on the other side, Shannon smiled in the sunlight. Your wife, what happened? What do you mean? Well, you wouldn't be here with me, Gordon, if it was all right on the home front. I paused and grinned, set down my fork, and propped up my elbows on the linen. Oh, it's a long story, Shannon. She reached out and held my hands. The outside light flickered over her freckled face. You don't deserve to be hurt, Gordon. You only deserve the best. That's a nice thing to say. She made me feel good about myself, Garrity. She made me feel no matter what I did, no matter what I might screw up, her love was always there. She tapped into a blatant weakness neither of us questioned. Shannon somehow would understand my foibles, and her love wasn't contingent upon my performance. I held her close, and we returned to the passenger car. She leaned against my chest, and I ran my fingers through her long, dark hair as we gazed out over the river toward Albany. I don't think I said five words all the way to Sarasota Springs, but I never felt as close to anyone as I felt to Shannon McCurry on that train. Her warm, tight little form was a mysterious force, invigorating my spirits. I wanted her, Garrity, not like the woman I had in the past. This was different. Garrity rolled her eyes. I immediately made love to her in a rustic hotel room. We had entered the room, arm in arm. When the busboy dropped off the suitcases, I knew we were totally alone. For a moment, we stood in front of the sliders, overlooking a meadow and the woods beyond. Had it been winter, I would have lit a fire in the huge stone hearth. I lifted her against my body and kissed her strongly. And I didn't stop kissing her for hours. I carried her over the large king-sized bed. It was a slow unwinding, Garrity, peeling off her clothes and mine. She was the type of woman who just kept coming after me. You had to be a marathoner, not a sprinter. We dined around 10 p.m. in a flowery wallpapered restaurant with a huge musket hanging over an oversized brick hearth. Inside was a black kettle but no fire. We talked about inconsequential things like uh, how I like meatball subs with provolone cheese and how she liked to chew fruit gum. She told me how she missed her hometown of Avery, Ohio. How she spent many a summer nights playing with her friends hide-and-go-seek on the green before the band concerts. She was in Girl Scouts and marched in parades with her sisters. My brothers used to bring me fishing on the riverbanks. And I played with dolls with my friends on rainy days. I did well in school, but I had fun, Gordon. I guess I missed those days. I played sports in high school, field hockey, and some track. I'm not surprised you're very athletic. She smiled and squeezed my hand. I was vice president of my class for four years in a row and on the student council. If I hadn't met Stephen, I guess I'd either be at home or at a graduate college. I could see she was upset. Shan, you've got plenty of time. You're not on the clock. You really do miss Avery, don't you? Yeah. Want to go back there? I'll bring you back. She paused and tightened her lips. Well, that would be tough, Gordon. See, my parents, they're both gone. Dead? No, divorced. It's changed. I guess none of us can ever go back. Well, it's pretty nice here right now. What about you, Gordon? <laughs> what about me? That's another story. I don't mean to pressure you, and I'm not. Your wife, are you going to stay with your wife? That was a pertinent question, Garrity. What was I going to do about Connie? How could I go forward in this relationship if I still had Connie lurking about? I wanted Connie out of my life. I uh, don't see any future with Connie. 
Shannon smiled. That's what she wanted to hear, Garrity. Divorce? It's not that easy. There are business and personal considerations. The business is a very complex proposition. I understand, Gordon. I really want to be with you. I really love you. God, I've never felt this way. Stephen or my boyfriends back in Avery were just casual acquaintances compared to what I feel right now. I wish she were gone. Her intimation surprised me. I wasn't sure how she meant it. Did she mean she wished Connie was dead or just out of the way? Yeah, I know. We walked around the grounds all night, and I can't say, Garrity, after being with somebody for eight hours of straight conversation, I still had poignant things to say. But she brought out in me something easy, casual, and uninhibited. We were still laughing at midnight when I pushed her on a large, galvanized swing set. I joined her on the swings, and we giggled like kids. But as I kicked my feet into the air and soared toward the stars, I contemplated killing Connie. Shannon's suggestion had prompted my deepest hatred. I looked at her dark hair flowing as she swung upward. She was so young and free in spirit. It wasn't just because I only wanted to be with Shannon Garrity. It was ingrained within me to want Connie's business, want the wealth, the power, and want Shannon too. I just couldn't stomach losing any of it. Again, I thought the late hour might be wearing her down. I had to steady her as she staggered off the swing. I walked her across the grass and under the mercury lights. I... I don't know why I'm feeling this way. You need to see a doctor, Shannon. I don't like doctors. I've always believed that you should let things run their course. Well, not if you're collapsing. No, no. I feel better now. I do. These things come and go. Are you divorcing her? Shannon asked me later, naked against me in the darkness. I didn't even know what time it was, only that she had worn me down. Groggy, I was caught off guard. No, I guess I, uh, I guess I wish she were gone. Gone? Then I said it, Garrity. Might as well get it out in the open right now, because without Connie dead, I couldn't have it all. Gone. She said nothing, but she didn't have to. She didn't spring out of bed and accuse me of being a murderer or a demented crazy man on the edge. No, she nestled her cheeks in her hair against my neck and held me. She never said do it or don't do it, but she consented, Garrity. She said with her body what she could never say with words. We lay there under the sheets and I stared at the outside spotlight surrounding the slider draperies. How would I do it and how would I get away with it? I had learned from my dealings with you, Garrity, that I had to be away from the murder scene. Two deaths and millions of dollars floating around would draw in all kinds of investigators, and they'd open up the old case. They'd work with you and try to nail me. I wasn't going to allow myself to be set up for that. Somehow, I was going to kill Connie and be completely absolved of everything. I knew it would be imperative that I leave no trail with Shannon. They would jump over any relationship as proof that I planned Connie's murder. As I lie there holding Shannon, her chest moving up and down as she slept soundly, I inhaled the vapors of her dining room perfume and thought how wonderful it would be having her at Tanglewood, where I would be in charge, not Connie, where I would make the decisions for all the business and in my personal life. Connie had become so all-consuming like a small pebble being blown across the sands, but growing with such intensity and dragging everything with her. I couldn't take it. I wanted her gone. If I could walk out of that hotel room right then and there, I'd kill her. I would have done it. 
I laughed to myself as I thought how I had outwitted Connie and her lackeys. They were probably up at the other hotel searching for Shannon and me. And they must have placed a dozen calls to Connie, apologizing and making excuses. No doubt she was livid. She would sense at once how I had outwitted her, firing her up even more. And she would be unrelenting and trying to stop my happiness. I can see now, Garrity, how psychotic I was and am. How I put my own ambitions and needs over human life. And I'll pay for that now. But I thought as I lay there that night that I had at least one chance for happiness in my life now. If I could just get rid of Connie, Shannon and I could have a good life together. The good life we both deserved. Framed by R.P. Fitton. Chapter 21 I would kill Connie on the yacht. She would fall overboard and be unable to maneuver in the water. No one was going to nail Gordon Butts for a drowning, Garrity. You know it and I know it. As I made my weekly rounds through New Jersey and up into Pennsylvania, I constructed her death, revising and plotting how I would get her aboard the boat. That was the easy part. She loved being out on the water and spent summers trekking around the sound. What I needed, Garrity, was getting her incapacitated and overboard. Drinking was the answer. I could get people aboard for witnesses and get her so drunk that she would drown once she was pushed over the rail. No one would save her if they were below deck of a fast-moving boat, moving so quickly that she couldn't get back. I kept thinking the speed of the boat would be the key. Maybe as we started back, if she were drunk enough, and I was close enough with her standing near the edge, pushing her into the water was simple. And she would be left in the wake. I would need the right people aboard. People who would swear I was in my cabin reading, and people who would see a drunken Connie staggering alone on the deck to get some air. I had time, Garrity, all summer. I planned to have her rip-roaring drunk, whether it took five runs or twenty runs out on that yacht. Once she was in the water, it would take days to find the body. Maybe they'd never find her. Once she was declared dead, I would get it all. Connie, despite her hatred of me and her attention to details with a business, had not touched her will. Perfect. Even more perfect than Walter Thornton's death. That's how I contemplated the next perfect murder, Garrity. I didn't shoot anybody. I had played upon Walter Thornton's weaknesses. And with Connie, I played upon a natural scenario. No one was going to prove anything. I debated whether to share specifics with Shannon. Telling her would accomplish nothing and only make her an accessory. That was my plan, and it was a good one but I blew it when I made Shannon a part of it. She was ill for almost a week. She told me it was an upper respiratory infection. When we finally left the city one weekend in June, I was drinking heavily. I can't even tell you how much Shannon had to drink that night. I don't think she was drunk, but I know she heard every word I told her about my plot to kill Connie. We were at a restaurant atop the city. Everything was spinning and we were both laughing. What would Connie say right now? asked Shannon. I couldn't contain my emotions, Garrity. Not after a half a dozen beers and a couple of shots. Connie will be out of the way soon. What do you mean? Shannon leaned forward and spoke in a lower voice. She grinned. Are you going to kill her? She'll kill herself. I'll be damned if I'm going to be held responsible for her death. She seemed intrigued. Maybe I had misjudged her. Though she had never said it, she must have coveted the money and the lifestyle. But I didn't berate her for that. That was my hallmark, Garrity. 
In fact, in my stupor, I admired it. How are you going to do it, Gordon? The boat. You going to hit her with a boat? Nah, I'm going to get her drunker than I am right now. And it seems as though she'll go for a little walk on the deck. Seems as though she'll be a little tipsy. Seems as though she'll fall over the railing and into the water. We'll be moving at at least 15 knots. I'll scoop back to the cabin and I'll be reading. I'll invite one of my guests to the cabin. We'll talk and maybe an hour later, yeah, an hour later I'll be casually asking where Connie is. I started to laugh and so did Shannon, but that was understandable. But what if she wasn't drunk and had blatantly consented to go along with the plot? She was more like me than I cared to imagine. I knew I had her support when she leaned forward near the candle. Gordon, that's perfect. I think so. They'll think she's drowned. You realize, my dear Shannon, I said, lifting some champagne to my lips. Connie could be back 10 or 15 miles by the time we start looking for her. She won't survive in the ocean in her condition. We may never find her. Au revoir. Good riddance. Adios. That's brilliant. Perfect. We can get married. You bet your Irish ass we can get married. I'll bring you to Tanglewood as my new bride. I'm going to play nice-nice to Connie, and it seems as though we'll take a lot of midnight cruises. And one of those times, she'll be drunk enough. I've got time. And I know when the opportunity will be right. We have to be prudent. We may not be able to see each other for a while, Shannon, but we'll communicate. Maybe you'll get a place away from here. Then we'll arrange to meet with witnesses, of course. We'll just take our time. And then you'll be Mrs. Gordon Butts and share in everything I have. You're so good to me, Gordon. I love you, and I want to spend my life with you. I love you, too, and you've made all my dreams come true. Framed by R.P. Fitton, Chapter 22 Planning a murder can be all-consuming. I planned Connie's murder as if I were executing any plan. With any plan comes blocks of action leading to the next level. I watched as she had people in the boatyard readying the yacht for Memorial Day. During the spring cruises, I would make it a point to repeat the scenario of Connie getting drunk. When she finally was pushed into the sea, I'd have a good concrete record and people there to verify her drinking problem. I told Shannon every grimy little detail of my plan. She never added, amended, or made any comment, but she never stopped it either. And I was exceedingly careful, making sure no one followed me during May and June. We did all the things Shannon was good at, tennis, bowling, swimming, hiking, and biking. But something happened to Shannon that couldn't happen to a 22-year-old woman. She was tiring too easily. So easily, in fact, I would be ahead of her on the bicycle and have to wait for her to catch up. In June, on one of the smaller Adirondack peaks, we had to return to the car. Each time, I'd implore her to see a doctor. Shannon, I said, nudging her. We had hiked along the lower hills, but she had slept for two hours along the highway. Her eyes slowly opened, but she never took her head off the seat. I think you're sick. No, I'll be all right. How can you say you're going to be all right? I've got 12 years on you, and I'm out of shape. But look, you're making me look like Superman. Where's his number? Where's this guy Gonzalez's number? Valdez, she yawned. 
I'll call him in the morning, Gordon. Really, it's okay. No, it's not okay. I can see a pattern developing here. I don't think you started getting tired like this before we went to Sarasota Springs. She nodded. How about we just stop and get some coffee and I'll be fine. If I were suspicious, I'd think you were trying to avoid going to the doctor. Oh, Gordon, that's silly. I'm as healthy as a horse. All right, I'll turn the car around and we'll go back up the mountain. I'm sure I have a mild bug, really. If it gets any worse, I'll see the doctor. I should have done something right then, Garrity, but it wouldn't have done any good. I should have at least seen that woman was sick. She did rally after the cup of coffee. We had dinner and stayed at the same hotel in Sarasota Springs. And if she was tired, she didn't show it in the bedroom all that weekend. As July approached, I told Shannon I was ready to carry out my plan against Connie. Again, she made no comment, but her consent was evident. I noticed during this time she had cut back on anything requiring exertion. I could see the fatigue in her pale complexion and circles below her eyes. She canceled many dates because she said she had a cold or sinus problems. I drove along the highway on a bright Wednesday afternoon. On Saturday night, I was going out on the yard again with Connie and Peter and Shirley Walsh. All during the week, Connie had turned up the pressure and subjected me to endless hours with a new batch of auditors. I wanted her dead before she sold the company. Shannon said she was strong enough to go bowling, and I made some arrangements to meet her at some obscure alley in northern New Jersey. I hadn't seen her for close to a week, and she looked like she had lost more weight. For a person who was sick, she bowled a strong game, beating me two out of three times. She promised me one more game, and then we retreated to the snack bar for soft drinks. How'd you get to be so good? I asked. She turned with the drink in her hand and grinned. I bowl in leagues, silly. Now that explains it. She sipped the drink and kept her back to me as she gazed across the alleys. This may be, uh, the last time we see each other for a while. Once Connie is missing and after they find the body, they'll be watching me like hawks. Not Connie's penny-ante security guys. We're talking state and local police, maybe FBI and Garrity. Garrity? She asked, glancing over her shoulder. I had forgotten I hadn't told her about Walter Thornton, nor was I going to tell her. Another cop. I had almost blown it, and I wondered if she suspected anything. Where should I go? Nowhere. I have a number of phone lines I can call you on, but don't try and call me. I'm sure they'll tap those Tanglewood lines. She finished her coke, and I'll never forget the look in her eyes, Garrity. An odd look like you get when somebody tells you a complicated joke and you finally get it. Things were adding up in her head, and she understood I was really going to kill Connie in less than 96 hours. Perhaps she sensed she was an equal recipient to the Thornton money. I liked the look because it told me she wanted me to do it. She wanted me to get rid of Connie. We went back to our lane and began bowling again. I watched her bare legs and white shorts as she rolled the small ball down the highly polished wood lane. I knew I would have her later that evening and for the rest of my life. Connie would be dead and I'd never have to listen to her babbling on about her company. Shannon was not winning this match. In fact, she showed signs of fatigue again. Toward the end, she remained in her seat, clutching her head. I walked over and sat down next to her. Shannon, are you all right? My head, it's blowing apart. I feel like I'm going to pass out. I lifted my half-finished soda from the table and raised it to her lips. She drank it slowly. Shannon, that's it. I'm either bringing you to a hospital or to your doctor. This has gone far enough. 
She nodded and she closed her eyes. I know, I keep putting it off. I'm sorry, Gordon. I'm so sorry. Don't apologize to me. It's you I'm worried about. You might need to go to a hospital and get fluids. You're probably dehydrated. I've lost 14 pounds, Gordon. Listen, I love you. Yeah, I love you too. She stood on her own accord and set down the drink. Can you get me back to the car? I picked up our shoes and headed for the front desk. Let's just leave your car in the rest area. I don't think you should be driving. No, I'm feeling better. Yeah, I've heard that before, I said, and I held her as we went back to the counter. She sat in one of the side chairs, and I helped her take off her bowling shoes. I didn't know what was wrong, but it wasn't contagious, because I felt fine. As we left the alley, I was still set to go through my plan with Connie. No doubt Shannon would get some kind of antibiotic from her doctor and then have to take it easy. That worked into the plan because we wouldn't see each other anyway. I can drive, she said in a stronger voice. I didn't argue and we got inside the car, but as I started the car and flipped on the air, she leaned back in the seat. Shannon slept for 45 minutes until I got back on the highway and veered into the rest area. She insisted she was all right and she finally came around. She hugged me and said she'd call her doctor in the morning. Then she headed for her little Volkswagen. I followed her back onto the highway, Garrity. She drove all right, but I beeped at her exit, my old exit for Cranes Beach. I continued around the second cutoff, allowing me to go over the bridge and back to New York. I was nervous and wanted a drink as I went over the bridge. I feared there might be something terribly wrong with her. The nervousness subsided as I accelerated north on the highway. I was going to kill Connie, take the assets, and have Shannon. By Friday afternoon, I had placed three calls to Shannon's answering machine. At dinner time, I put in another call to the Philly warehouse and listened as her voice, recorded sometime in the past, came on the line again. Hello, Shannon McCurry here. Actually, if I were here, you wouldn't be hearing this funny little message. Well, let me know what's up and I'll call you back. Bye. Machine beeped and I was about to hang up when Shannon came on live. Hello, Shannon McCurry. Shannon, it's Gordon. Sorry, I, I just got in, Gordon. Valdez has been running tests on me all day long. I'm tested out. Still tired? Oh, yeah. He thinks I might have something viral like mono or something. Makes me feel like a teenager who's been kissing too much. They should have some results by Monday. How are you doing? Good. I'm ready. You've got balls, Gordon. I'll say that for you. I smiled. Is it foolproof? Yes. Good. When will we see each other again? It'll be at Guido's. I want to give it at least a month, maybe six weeks. I want to plan that, too. My friend, Tom... Nice guy. Tom will be our witness to our getting together a month from now. That should work. I guess a few weeks isn't going to be that long to wait when you're talking about a lifetime together. Blink of an eye. Will you call me after, you know, after you've been successful? I'll give you the good word. I do want to make sure you're all right, you know, with the test. I can tell you on Monday, but let me know when it's all over so I don't have to worry. I will. I love you, Gordon. Love you too, Shannon. We'll get through this. Bye. I hung up the phone and walked out of the warehouse through the side door. I entered my jag and drove along the building. Nobody saw me, Garrity. Nobody knew I was going to kill Connie. 
Nobody except Shannon. Butts had it made. Even with Connie's nonsense, Butts could have made a good life for himself. But Butts is arrogant and had contempt for anyone who got in his way of achieving power. He's going out with the barmaid, Shannon, and the falling into an intense relationship can only be described as stupid. Butts is now planning to kill Connie, which in his head is the answer to all his hopes and dreams. Next time, the wild last episode of Framed here on Fitting on the Air. Gordon, Gordon, Gordon. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittinbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.